Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Spirit. We thank you for your presence. We pray that you help us to be sensitive to your presence tonight and that you would give us fresh insight and a deeper understanding of your word. And as we get to know more about your word, um, help us to know you better, Father. And I pray, Father, for um, the gift of teaching. I pray pray for a fresh filling of your spirit. And I pray uh, for your people here under the sound of my voice that you would bless them, Lord, that you would guide them, that you answer prayers, that you would heal and restore Uh, Whatever needs to be done, Lord, I pray for your intervention in their lives, Lord. But I pray, most of all, you'll be glorified uh, during this time of worship through the studying of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So 2 Samuel 13, the title of the study is Downward Spiral. Downward Spiral. And so as we've been going through 2 Samuel... We become very familiar with King David as we've seen some of the major events in his life and how he reacted to those major events, whether good or bad. And tonight's study, we're going to see some more events, but they're going to center more around his children. And of course, David is going to be included because this is his family. And we're not going to read this or just listen to the, the scriptures being read just for the sake of information, for the sake of memory. It's good, of course, to memorize verses. But of course, our desire is for all of us to, to learn lessons that's going to help us to, to become more like Jesus. Lessons that will help us to avoid and overcome drama in our lives, as we'll see in the study tonight. And so by this time, you should be at 2 Samuel 13, and we're going to start at the first verse. It says, after this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin. And it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, and he was the son of Shemiah, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was very crafty. He was a very crafty man. And in verse 4, it says, and he said to him, this Jonadab said to Amnon, why are you the king's son becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother, Absalom's sister. So Amnon, of course, is David's son. He is David's, to be specific, his firstborn son by Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. And as we see here in these first four verses, he was obsessed with Tamar. And Tamar, by the way, was his half-sister, But she was Absalom's full sister. And Absalom's and Tamar's 
uh, mom was Mayaka, and she was the daughter of Talmai, the king of Geshur. Now, as you see here, it's very unusual set of scriptures, this unusual situation here because Amnon, the half-brother of Tamar, wanted to be with her in an intimate way. The scriptures tell us that he felt that it was impossible to be with her. And so he, he was becoming sick to the point that Jonadab had to step in. And so in these verses, what we see here is not only an introduction to a very strange, a very weird situation, but we also see the introduction of Jonadab, a crafty man. And this crafty man was, of course, the son of one of David's brothers, which means that this is King David's nephew, which means that this is Amnon's cousin. And so already with Jonadab being described as a crafty man, we can sense that this story is going to take a bad turn. And so I would just encourage all of us tonight that that. We need to be careful of who we allow in our inner circle. Be careful, in other words, of those who are known to cause trouble. Because Jonadab was known to be a very crafty man. And so if you know somebody who's known to be very crafty or some other negative thing that has been proven, then it will be wise of you to close your inner circle to that person. You can love that person, of course, from a distance. You can pray with them. You can witness to them. But, but be careful of who you allow in your inner circle. Instead, I would say to consider adding people to your lives who are considered some things that are positive. Where you can use some positive adjectives. How about people who are called a child of God? And, and you can only become a child of God by the new birth. And the new birth is only given to us from above. It, it is something that the Holy Spirit does within us after we have repented and put our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And so we must be born again. We must be born from above. That is for us to have a new nature and in order for us to have a relationship with God, the father. So, so add people who are known to be a child of God. Add people who are known to be, how about this, a lover of God. Add those type of people around you. That is my encouragement. And in verse five, it says, so Jonadab said to him, said to Amnon, um, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father David, King David, comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Then Amnon lay down and he pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat. From her hand. And so Amnon here, he takes that wicked advice, that evil advice. He begins to, he begins to implement this wicked scheme that Jonadab, this crafty person, this crafty man had cooked up for him. And so this is a reason you want to be careful of who you allow in your inner circle. Be careful of those uh, people that you associate with. 
because something like this could happen. You see, when something arises that, that deals with morality, it's a moral issue, something that has to do with right or wrong, with righteousness uh, versus that which is sinful, you're going to want a Holy Spirit-filled person around you to share God's truth with you, somebody who's going to be honest with you to, to, to hey, I, thanks for sharing that thought with me, but you know, according to the word of God, that is a sin. You know, somebody who's going to give you some advice that's going to build you up. Or there's another fancy word that, that, that means, that, that says to edify. So, so put people around you who are going to edify you, build you up, and that are going to encourage you to get closer to Jesus instead of people who are going to help you scheme and, and plot your way around how to do this evil that, that, that is in your heart. See, in verse 7, David sent home. To Tamar, the king of Israel, David, sent home to Tamar, his daughter, saying, now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So he's unsuspecting of what his son is uh, planning on doing. And so Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his side and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, have, have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, his half-sister, bring the food into the bedroom or to the inner room that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. And so... We see that both David and Tamar had good intentions in this situation. They, they thought Amnon was really ill, thought he was really sick. And so he, he requested Tamar to come help him, to come cook for him. So David think he's thinking he's doing something good. And of course, Tamar, you know, she's thinking that she's doing something good as well. But we know that he was just pretending to be sick. So he can get Tamar into bed with him. And I would just say that, that some of you may have good intentions in helping someone. Or you may have good intentions in establishing a, a, a relationship with someone. But beware that there are those who try to deceive you into thinking that they have some pure intentions. Or that... They are one way where they're really another way. So, so I would say as a piece of godly advice, it is in situations like this to, to take someone with you. You know, if it's a man and woman situation and the man or woman or vice versa, they're, they're, they're asking for some godly advice, a counseling session, so to speak. You know, take, if you're a man, take a woman with you. Take your wife with you. If you're a woman, take your husband or point that person to the pastor or somebody who's a mature male in the church. So take someone with you, first of all, but also set up some boundaries for yourself. Set up some boundaries. So that's why, I don't know if you remember earlier this year when we had the afterglow service, 
um, on a Sunday morning. You know, we have um, both men and women praying. And so if, if the women felt more comfortable going to the women for prayer, maybe it, it was something that was, you know, they didn't feel comfortable sharing it with the men and women were there to pray with them. So, so it's things like that that we try to set up here um, at the church. And so you'll never see one of us pastors or hopefully any of the males in here who are in leadership, you know, take a woman out to lunch, you know, saying, okay, I'm just doing ministry. No, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. And so you want to set up some boundaries, take someone with you, but also be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And so that's my advice and situations like this because not everyone has good intentions although you may be well-meaning and so the blame may not reside with you but you don't know what those other people are thinking is the point and so you want to use some wisdom and God gives wisdom and he invites us to come to him for wisdom and he says that he will not upbraid us he's not going to turn us away if we were to come to him and ask for wisdom and wisdom, by the way, is, is more than knowledge because knowledge is this, just gathering information, just knowing. But, but wisdom is taking that information and applying it. Wisdom, in other words, is skill in living, taking the knowledge and using the skill by the power of the Holy Spirit to your lifestyle. That's, that's wisdom. In verse 12, it says, But she answered him, no, my brother, do not force me. Don't violate me. Don't rape me for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful or wicked thing. And where could I take my shame? As as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. That is, as a wife, you would have just... Do it that way. And maybe she was just saying that to just buy a little time to to kind of stop him in his tracks. However, in verse 14, he would not listen to her. He, He didn't heed her voice. Speaking of Amnon and being stronger than she, he forced her. He violated her and he lay with her. And so Tamar, we see here, tried to get her half brother from doing something foolish stupid and sinful you know there's a scripture in leviticus you see all that bible reading in leviticus where it seems to be slow and it seems to be boring for many of you it's it's coming it's going to be handy tonight so let's look at leviticus 18 and and verses 9 through 11 leviticus 18 9 through 11 and you can see a little bit of what Tamar is talking about in regard to this relationship thing that her brother is trying to do with her. So Leviticus 18 verse 9, it says, the nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover for theirs is their own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father. She is your sister. You shall not uncover her nakedness. And so Tamar had more sense than Amnon. And maybe Amnon knew it, but he didn't care. 
And that's something that lust will do. It will blind you to the truth, to things you already know to be wrong. It will blind you to that because all you care about is pleasing your flesh. So obviously, we see in the scripture in verse 14 that, that Amnon didn't listen. He violated Tamar. You know, and just like Amnon, we have flesh. We have a sin nature. And our flesh, our sin nature may crave to do something that's sinful. It will crave to do something sinful. Because the flesh, it desires things. It lusts for things that are different from what the Spirit wants. The Holy Spirit has different desires for us. But our flesh, our sin nature, it wants to take us down. And wants to satisfy, wants us to satisfy those cravings. But instead of giving in to those cravings of the sin nature, the sinful nature, listen to those who warn you about the evil of that act. Listen to those who warn you about the evil and the sinfulness of those words or of that lifestyle. Listen to those who warn you about the consequences that come along with participating in that sinful act or in that sinful lifestyle. You know, this is what Tamar tra- tried to do. She, she told Abnon that this act is sinful and, he, and she tried to let him know about the consequences, but, but he didn't listen. So listen to those warnings as, as you spend time in the word of God by yourself, just, just you and the Lord. As, as you go to a Sunday morning study, as you go to a small group study or a Wednesday night service or Sunday school, whatever the case may be, as you're getting the word of God and, and you're listening, listening to these admonitions and these warnings and these instructions from the word of God, pay attention, listen to it, don't ignore it. God knows what's best. In verse 15, he did what he did, and Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love, you can replace that with lust, with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, arise, be gone. He, he, he did what he wanted to do. He pleased his flesh. Now he tries to spit her out. He chewed her. Now he wants to spit her out. He abused her. Now he wants to get rid of her. His lust was satisfied. Now he hated her more than he lusted her. Now, unfortunately, we we still know that this happens today. We, we still know that there's incest and rape and things like that happening today. Because of the sinful nature of man. Because there is a devil. There are demons. Because people have free will. We, we know that these things are true. But, but we also see things like this happening with both men and women. That, that they get what they want out of a so-called relationship. And then they spit these people out. And, and it could go both ways. And so I would say in, in relationships, from a relationship standpoint, boyfriend, girlfriend, somebody you, 
dating or whatever the case may be. I I will say this to, to don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And that's just not me saying that. That is the word of God saying that because when you're unequally yoked, they're going to have different values than you do. You're going to want to go one way as a believer obeying the word of God, but the person who is not in the word, who's not born again, they don't have a new nature. All they have is a sin nature, that which they got from Adam, the first man. And so they're going to want to go in another direction and take you with them. But but who is going to influence who? Sometimes you see, unfortunately, Christians giving in to the demands of the non-Christians in those relationships. And then what happens? You get chewed up and spit out. Arise, be gone. I got what I got. No, ladies, I don't understand how some could allow somebody to be with them and have sex outside of marriage with them for years. And that gentleman, that, I shouldn't call him a gentleman, that man is not willing to make a commitment. And, you know, you're, you're more valuable than that. Especially as, well, first of all, as a human, you are God's creation, first of all. But, but if you're a believing woman, you, you are a child of the king. To allow somebody to drag you along all these years, get what they want from you. They get what they want, no strings attached. At the end of the day, they can spit you out. And then what? You carry that around with you for the rest of your life, not being able to trust, you know, someone again in another relationship. And it could be a godly man who comes around, but you think that all men are alike from that point. And and it could happen the other way. But I wanted to start with the ladies because we see it more often there. But it could happen both ways. And, and so, first of all, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, but, but also follow God's guidelines for sex. That is, one man, one genetic man, one genetic woman in the context of marriage. So, so sex within that circle of marriage is approved by God. And the bed is undefiled. That, that, that's okay in God's eyes. But, but anything, any sex outside of that circle of marriage between one genetic male and one genetic woman, any sex outside of that circle is sin in the sight of God and you will never ever change God's mind. He will never ever approve of any sex outside of that. No matter what kind of laws are passed, no matter what movie star approves of it, of it, you do never get God to change his mind. Our God is a holy God. You heard the song that our God is greater. He's stronger and so forth. He's a, he's a holy God. He is a God of righteousness. He is, he is a just a God. He is, of course, a merciful and a gracious God. He always does what is right. He is fair just and in his holiness he cannot approve of sin he will not 
You know, we often say that there's nothing impossible for God, and that is so true. But there are things that are impossible for God, and that is he cannot lie. God cannot lie. Why? Because it's not in his nature. God cannot do anything that is not a part of his nature. And one of those things being lies. But there is a father of lies, and that's Satan. But God, on the other hand, is truth. In verse 16, it says, so she said to him, no, indeed, you're not, not going to just get rid of me. You're just going to chew me up, spit me out. Uh, no, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called his servant who attended him and said, here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. And actually in the original text, so in, in your text, you might see woman italicized. And as one Bible scholar pointed out, and as the Bible points out here, depending on which version you have, you'll, you'll see woman, that word italicized, that means it was not in the original text. So in other words, it reads this way, put this out, not even referring to her as a person at this point, put this out away from me and bolt uh, the door behind her. Now she had on a long sleeve robe of many colors. In other words, this, this was a garment of privilege, a garment of status. For the king's, King David's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. And in verse 19, Tamar put ashes on her head in grief. And she tore her long sleeve robe of many colors that was on her. And, and she laid her hand on her head and she went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? And he says, now, now hold your peace. Keep silent, my sister. Remember, this is his full sister. They have the same mother, same father. He says, keep silent. Don't say anything. He's your brother. Amnon's your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. Now, now what, and you're going to see what, what Absalom is really doing. Is he's like, he's trying to put on this front. Because he's telling her to be quiet. But in his heart, he's about to get this guy. He said, do not take this thing to heart. And so Tamar remained desolate. She remained secluded in her brother, her full brother's uh, Absalom's house. And so because she's been forced, because she's been violated, she would no longer. And this is, this is a part of her grief. You know, not just that this happened to her, which is horrible, but, but, but at the same time, because she was violated, she is no longer um, acceptable to another man as a wife because her virginity was taken outside of marriage. And so that's, that's how it was during that time. And, and so you can understand her grief, any depression she may have at this point. And, and so she has been taken advantage of. She's been rejected. She's been at this point that we see here in, in, in verse 20. Now she's isolated. And there may be some of you in this room or maybe somebody who's watching or who'll be listening at a later time, whatever the case is. But you may be in one of those states. You may be in one of those states in which you've been taken advantage of, in which maybe you've been rejected. You've been given the boot or maybe you were in isolation. But I just want to share with you that if that's the case of one or more of those states, if, if that's true for you, I just want to share with you that, number one, there is hope 
in Jesus. The second thing I want to share with you if you're in one of those states is that there is counseling and there are ministries that are available to you. And I can, and I can speak for this local church, this local fellowship alone. But then, of course, we, we do have a ministry of men's mentoring or men's discipleship and women's mentoring or discipleship. We do have that here where we have men meeting with men and women meeting with women. And they're willing to come alongside you in your walk. And bring those words of comfort to you through the word of God. But when King David in verse 21 heard of all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had force. He violated his sister Tamar. And so David, King David and Absalom, of course, they had a reason to be angry at what happened. To be angry at Amnon, but we see that Absalom took it a step further because he would allow his anger to take root and it would grow into hate for Amnon. Even though Absalom tried not to show it, he didn't speak anything one way to another to his to his brother, his half brother. But he had that hatred in his heart. And what does the Bible say about hatred? Proverbs 10, 18, in the first half of that verse, it says, whoever hides hatred has lying lips. So he was hiding his hatred. And sticking to Proverbs chapter 26, verse 24, it says, he who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. And so we see this very thing happening with Absalom. So he hated his half-brother Amnon and He was disguising it, you know, maybe not. He didn't talk to him either good or bad, so he didn't quite disguise it with his lips or with his speech. But on the surface, he made it seem like everything was okay. But he was laying up some deceit within himself. And another thing about hatred that we need to be careful of is in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. It says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, even though they haven't even committed the act of murder yet. It just starts with hate. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So those are just a few scriptures on hatred. And so this is what's, what's building up in Absalom's heart. But we continue in verse 23, it says, and it came to pass after two full years, two years later, that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal Hazor, which was 14 miles north of Jerusalem, which is near Ephraim. And so Absalom invited all the king's sons to a party or to a feast. And so it says that Absalom in verse 24, he came to the king and he said, Kindly note that your servant has sheep shearers. In other words, I have some men who are coming out to cut the wool of my sheep. So please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, no, my son, let let us all, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him. 
So Absalom really tried to press David into going, but David would not go. And he blessed him. He blessed Absalom. And Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him. And so he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. And now Absalom had commanded his servants saying, watch now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. This is two years in the making. He's building up. That hatred is building up. So as he commanded his servants saying, watch now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant or brave. And so the servants of uh, Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each one got on his mule and fled. And so we even here, we, we see some consequences of David's sins. And you have to think about what has happened in the previous chapters with, with him having, um, we don't use the word affair, but it was an adulterous uh, relationship with Bathsheba. So he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he had her husband murdered. So that's what David did. And so here, here what you're seeing with Absalom having his half-brother Amnon killed, what you're seeing here is what's, what's coming to pass that the prophet Nathan had told David what happened. See, Nathan brought David a word from the Lord about the consequences of his sin of adultery and his sin of murder. And so in 2 Samuel 12, verse 10, this is what it says. It says, now, therefore, the sword, speaking to David, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And so you're seeing this beginning to manifest. You're seeing this consequence of David's sins beginning to be revealed in his own family. As you see the sword in his house, you see Absalom having Amnon killed, having him murdered. So you see in this and, and this is a consequence again of David's sin is beginning to blossom. And so, yes, David is forgiven by God, but the consequences are starting to, to fall into place. But then one thing I want to point out of Absalom's strategy in having Amnon killed is that notice that Absalom waited until Amnon was under the influence of wine. He, he waited until he was tipsy. He waited until he was drunk before he had him killed. You know, so to me, if humans know that, that a person who is not sober minded is more susceptible to succumb to attacks, if humans know that, then, then that means your spiritual enemy knows that too. He knows that if you're not sober because you're under the influence of alcohol or you're under the influence of some type of drug, the enemy knows that you're, you're pretty much opening up a door for, for him to be victorious in his attacks. So if humans know that, like Absalom, then of course our enemy knows that. And that's why the Bible tells us to be sober and to be vigilant. Because the, the devil, he's walking around like a roaring lion and he's looking for us. He's looking for people to devour. So we need to be sober minded. We need to have clarity of thought. 
Instead of being filled with, with drugs or under the influence of alcohol, we, we are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we are told to be influenced by none other than the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, what and who is influencing you? In verse 30, it says, and it came to pass while they were on the way. That news came to David. So the rest of the sons, they got on their mules and they took off. But news came to David first saying that Absalom has killed all the king's son and not one of them is left. And so the king arose and he tore his garments and he lay on the ground. He's mourning. And all his servants, his officers, his attendants, they, they stood by also with their clothes torn. And, and so just looking at verse 30, there's something I find interesting. And what I find interesting about this is that you see a case of people passing on news before they have the whole story. And so they're passing on false news. Not all of the sons are killed. It was just Amnon who was killed, who was murdered. And so we even see this going on today. We see it going on with television, with the internet. And even in our personal lives, people don't even have the whole story, but they just want to be the first to share the news. And so that stood out to me first off. And so now the king is thinking that all of his sons are dead, so he's in mourning. He would have been in mourning anyway, just based off the fact that one had been murdered and by another son at that. But, but now all of his sons, false news. But then there's something interesting and, and kind of beautiful that, that I see here ha- happen in verse 31. Notice that King David begins to mourn. He's on the ground. He's mourning. His garments are torn. His, his heart is broken. And notice what his servants do. His servants, they stood by with their clothes torn as well. They're mourning with their king. In other words, what broke King David's heart broke his servant's heart. And I just want to ask tonight that I wonder if you're in that place where you have been so acquainted with your king, speaking of King Jesus, that that you know him so much in a relationship that you understand what breaks his heart. And I just wonder that if you're in that place that if you know that whatever breaks his heart, that your heart. It's broken for those same things. When, when you see the sin, when you see the craziness in this world and, and just in this country alone, or maybe just in our families, those things that we know are sinful, those things that we know that go against God's will based on what's revealed in his word, you know they break our king's heart. Do those things break your heart as well? Do you cry out to the Lord? On behalf of the unborn who never have a chance to come out of their mother's womb alive because somebody is telling other people that it's okay to murder a human. That breaks God's heart. Does it break yours? It breaks God's heart when people are lying to each other, whether in the body of Christ or whether it's husband and wife. That breaks God's heart. Does that break your heart? Oh, oh it, it breaks God's heart 
when we give our give ourselves away to people that we're not married to and we entering into a a, a relationship sexually with them. It's called fornication that that breaks his heart because God knows what's best for us and he knows that is bad for us. That's why he sets those boundaries, not not because he doesn't want us to enjoy life or, or to not have fun or anything like that. But he knows what will harm us, what will harm others. He sets those boundaries. And when we break those boundaries, when we go against his revealed will, oh, it breaks his heart. There is a scripture, by the way, that tell us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. So, yes, for a believer who has the Holy Spirit indwelling us, when we sin with these bodies, these, this temple of the Holy Spirit, yes, it grieves him. He's grieved. When we support things that God clearly calls sin. Especially when we call ourselves Christians, we compromise to get a pat on the back from the world. Oh, that, that grieves him. Think about that. You, you, I died for you and, and you choose the world to please the world over me. I, I created you and you choose the world and its ways over, over me and I'm the one who knows what's best for you. Think about that. Do our heart break for the things that break his heart? That's why I said this picture is beautiful. In verse 31, we see his servants grieving with their king. But in verse 32, it says, Then Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, he answered and said, Let my Lord, let not my Lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's son, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced or violated his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, let not my lord, the king, take this thing to heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. So here's Jonadab. You remember him. This is the guy who came up with that wicked plan in the first place, the one who started this whole thing with this evil advice. And now he has the nerve to try to comfort David. And don't you notice that in real life? That many times, and he did share accurate information, by the way. He did do that, but he's the one who started it. But, but in real life, and that is real life, but in today's society, I should say, don't you notice that many times the one who knows a lot about what's going on is sometimes a part of the problem? You used to see that when, you know, with the little kids, when somebody gets hurt and some, you know, one of the children are crying, somebody fell and they're bleeding or whatever. And then that child who's crying, they're trying to tell the story. Then all of a sudden you have the other one. He hurries up and come over there to try to, to, try to tell the story first. He doesn't want to get in trouble because he's the one who probably pushed the child down. And so you've seen that. And maybe it's just me because I've been that child. Maybe it's me. I, I tried to say it quick, but you caught it. In verse 34, it says, then Absalom fled and the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked. And there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. So now he spots the rest of those sons. And Jonadab said to the king, look, the king's sons are coming as your servant said. So it is. So, so Jonadab is like, see, I told you the right thing, king. Not all of them died. Verse 36. So it was as soon as he had finished speaking. That the king's son indeed came and they lifted up their voice and wept. 
Also, the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and he went to his mother's father, Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. So he went to his grandfather. And David mourned for his son, speaking of probably Amnon, every day. And so Absalom fled and he went to Geshur and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. Wow. Lots of drama. And so what we've seen here is the downward spiral in David's family. In other words, we see that things just kept getting worse and worse. And and it's not done yet. We just haven't gotten to the next chapter or the next chapters, I should say. You see, we've seen the downward spiral in, in Amnon's life. We've seen this lust sickness that he had, and then he followed this bad advice, and then he raped Tamar, his half-sister, and then he discarded her. We see this downward spiral to now. He got to the point where he ended up murdered. Then we've seen the downward spiral of Tamar, another family member of David, his daughter. At first, she, she was feeling valued the, as the virgin daughter of a king. She had this robe of many colors, this, this, this privilege robe this robe that showed that she had privilege she went from that to feeling valued to obeying her father's order to go to her brother's house and cook for him but then it got to the point of being willing to help someone else who she thought was sick and then it spiraled downward to her becoming disgraced and and now becoming mentally and emotionally hurt to her now feeling devalued And of course, we've seen the downward spiral of Absalom. He was concerned at first and he was protective as a brother. And we've seen him turn into this schemer. We've seen him becoming this hater of his brother. Then he became a murderer and now he's a fugitive. Or maybe you can relate to David. Maybe you can relate to his family. Because maybe... You feel like things are spiraling downward in your life. Maybe you think things are getting out of control in your family. Maybe you see right now that your family seems to be growing apart. There's this downward spiral. You see infighting. You see people in your family become morally debased. They act like they don't know right from wrong anymore. Or maybe there's a downward spiral at work where the atmosphere on your job is becoming worse. It was a terrific job at first. Everything was on the up and up. But now you're seeing this downward spiral. Or maybe you are in a relationship with someone. Everything was wonderful. Everything was peaches and cream. But something happened. And now there is this downward spiral in your relationship. Maybe there's people you used to get along with. And now things are getting worse they're getting out of control there's this downward spiral with that and and many many people by the way can relate to another area where there could be a downward spiral and that's in the area of finances where you have more bills than your finances can cover there's this downward spiral you you it seemed like you had it all at first but now it seems like the finances are just blowing in the wind where is this coming from you may be thinking 
Maybe you've always been that godly parent who raised your child, your children in the word of God, and they become a little older, perhaps a teenager or a young adult, but all of a sudden they begin to start walking away from those things that you have taught them from the word of God. And so you begin to experience this downward spiral in your family and you begin to see it in your children's life. And maybe personally in your spiritual walk. You were once on fire for the Lord. You were going to every service that you can make it to. You were, you were reading your Bible every day. You were praying as often as you could. You just couldn't wait to have that quiet time and to spend it with the Lord because you didn't want anybody else to hear you because when you prayed, you only wanted the Lord to hear you because that was a special time for you. But all of a sudden, you are not on fire for the Lord like you used to be. Maybe you're on that downward spiral because you haven't been healed from that, ha- that past hurt or from that, that past pain from someone who has wronged you. And so you begin to go on this downward spiral in your life personally. And just like this lesson, you've learned the lesson that that, that saying isn't quite true. And the saying I'm speaking about is time heals all wounds. But for you, that saying That idiom is not true. You begin to find out that time does not heal all wounds. You see it in the life of Absalom. Two years had gone past and the hatred just grew within his heart. It just gave him more time to scheme. And maybe you find found out that the hard way that time does not heal all wounds. But but there's some things on our end that we can do by the way to stop the downward spiral. And one thing we can do is discipline when necessary. Of course, this this is talking about parent to child relationship, or this is even talking about within the church, because sometimes discipline needs to happen within the church. And you see that in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians, for example. So discipline when necessary. Unfortunately, David didn't do that. It said he was angry, but he didn't chastised. He didn't discipline his son. So discipline when necessary. That's, that's one thing we can do to stop the downward spiral, especially in our child's life or in that parent-child relationship, or especially in the church, because the Bible says that a little leaven leavens the whole what? Lump. The downward spiral needs to, it needs to stop. So discipline when necessary. That's one thing we can do. Another thing we can do is to don't sweep the problems under the rug. Again, David was angry, but he didn't address it. Absalom was angry, but, but he didn't address it. The problem was swept under the rug. Another thing we can do is communicate. We, we didn't see this going on in the study. We, we didn't see Absalom communicate with Amnon. Hey, hey, bro, I heard what you did. You need to confess to that. You need to make things right. We, we didn't see that happen. We didn't see David communicate. Oh, oh, we didn't see this going on. So this is, this is a point that has to be well taken by all of us. We need to communicate in order to, to stop this downward spiral that we may find ourselves or our families in or even our marriages in. But also, somebody needs to take the initiative 
Don't say it's their fault. They need to do it first. Don't, don't say this in the marriage. You know, I'm not going to submit to him until he loves me like Christ loved the church. And don't say I'm, gonna, I'm not going to love her as Christ loved the church unless she submits to me. No, somebody needs to take the initiative in order to bring about a resolution. Somebody needs to take the initiative to, to, to pick up that phone. We, we, most of us have cell phones. We can text, we can call, we can, we can say, hey, can we, can we have a meeting to hash this out? I don't want bitterness to settle in my heart. Can we, can we talk about this? Can we handle this issue like Matthew chapter 18 says that if our brother offends us, that we go to that brother, tell them how they offended us, and, and hopefully they'll confess it, they'll repent, and then we've gained a brother. But, but are you taking the initiative? Are you setting aside the pride and taking that first step? But then, of course, this is huge. It's going to take some humility. All of it takes humility. But we need to take responsibility for our part in the issue. Take responsibility. You know, this this is not something that Amnon did. He didn't take responsibility for what he did to Tamar. And neither did Jonadab, by the way. The guy who knew all the information. I know how everything started. Yeah, that's because you started it. You were a part of the issue. Knew everything. See, but Amnon and Jonadab, they they didn't come out and say, you know what, this is, you know, we we did what we did. Absalom. He did his thing, had his brother killed and he ran away. And so we need to be willing to take responsibility for the part we played in the problem. And so these, these are just some ways that I saw in the text, these are things that they failed to do that just was kind of illuminated and kind of pushed to the forefront of this study. The things that they failed to do, these are things that we ought to do to, to help stop the downward spiral as the worship team takes the stage. And as we take responsibility for the part we played in the issue, I would say repent and forgive as necessary. But, but here's the main thing. So, yes, those are some things that we can do to help stop the downward spiral. But, but this is something that we should never forget in all of this. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. That, that wherever you or your family may be in that downward spiral, that God is the greatest factor in stopping it. God is the greatest factor in stopping that momentum that's going on and that downward spiral in your life or in your family. But not only that, can he, not only can he stop that downward spiral that's going on, but, but he's also able to get things redirected to where thou, now there's an upward trajectory where things now are on the up and up no matter what the damage is no matter what the hurt is no matter what the disappointment is no matter what that past action was oh god can cause things to now be on the up and up and that's the type of god we serve and do you believe that tonight 
That our God is ultimately the greatest factor in stopping that downward spiral. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Lord, for those of us who are on that downward spiral, maybe in our Christian walk or in our relationships, or if we even see it in our families, maybe we're not even involved, but it's in our families and we see it. We pray for your intervention, Father. We pray for your healing. We pray for your restoration. We pray for your wisdom. We pray that you would stop the momentum of that downward spiral and that you would cause there to be an upward trajectory of the situation. And that you would bind the work of the enemy against our families and against us, against the church. And we thank you, Lord, because we know that you're greater than the enemy. We thank you, Lord, because we know that you are the problem solver. And I pray your blessing upon my brothers and sisters tonight, that you will bless them with traveling grace, equip them for ministry, use them in a mighty way this week. Bless their lives, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.